Hello and welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast, mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday, and this is the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. Each episode, you hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They share insights in self-leadership and leading others. Together, we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it is time to manage self, lead others. Most of us are familiar with the last three lines of Robert Frost's classic poem, The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less travelled by, and that has made all the difference. As we move from the first wave of the digital revolution, whose primary force has been the rapid growth of the internet into the second wave, which will amplify the network effects of the Internet of Things and artificial intelligence, AI, we will be faced with an existential choice about how we organise our societies that may determine whether we will live in the most authoritarian, centralised social structures the world has ever known, or whether we create a highly evolved human society embracing a different way to design how we socially organise ourselves. This choice is consequential. It will likely shape the course of human social organisation for decades, if not centuries. Whether we morph into an advanced form of totalitarianism or evolve into the higher reaches of human nature, will depend metaphorically on whether or not we choose to travel on a road which up to this point has usually not been taken. My guest today is Rod Collins. Welcome, Rod. Well, I'm just so pleased you're available for a return uh, episode. And I appreciate the invitation. Of all the episodes in the last year, yours was... uh, episode 59, and it was about that collective intelligence process. And honestly, I think it's one of my favourite episodes because if you are if you want something tangible, a step-by-step description of what you can do with a team to get generate ideas and to have ownership of those ideas, you were so generous in giving us that step-by-step. So I really defer people to go to episode 59, uh, which we published last October, and uh, yours on collective intelligence and self-managing teams. A superb episode, Rod. Oh, thank you. It was mm. a pleasure. Mm. And so you're you're working on a blog series and your next book, and uh, we're talking well, we're, we're talking about the digital fork in the road, and and we've we've just we've just uh, expressed Robert Frost's poem. Two, di- two roads diverged in a wood. <laughs> and yes. uh, I, I studied Robert Frost. I, ha- I have a, a degree in literature. So, oh. of course, I studied Robert Frost. In fact, one, one of my units for a whole year was American literature. So, yeah, he's, he's just the most amazing poet. And also he, he, he nails it. He nails it. The Road Less Traveled By. In fact, M. Scott Peck wrote the book. The road less traveled, did he not? That's correct. And uh, Robert Frost actually talks about the road not taken. 
Most people think of this in terms of individual choices. And so the blog that I'm working on, which I'm calling the digital fork in the road, is actually looking at it from a social perspective. Okay. And so, um, uh, and I'm still in the midst of writing this, and this kind of builds on our our previous episode uh, regarding collective intelligence, which will come into play here as well. But uh, what I'm writing about, I think we are living in a very interesting time. And I think very shortly, we may be very well be faced with the most significant existential choice that we've had to make regarding societies and the history of human civilization. And of course, that filters down to the microcosm of the manager uh, choices around how they lead their team. And of course, team members, how they decide to operate within that team. You know, it filters across, you know, upwards, sideways. It, it can. And I think it's happening. Uh, and it's part of it, It's one of the things I'll point out in the blog. We're seeing uh, an application, if you will, of the road not taken happening in organizations. But the existential choice that we have is going to happen at the level of social systems. Up until this point, all through the history of civilization, we have almost exclusively chosen one type of social system, and that is the centralized top-down hierarchy. Whether we look at tribes, monarchies, even democratic governments have huge administrative states, corporations, Um, most of our experience of social organizations is in the form of bureaucracies. Well, in the form of having leaders and then, and and followers. uh, And and a distinction between those for sure. Ah. Uh, Now, when you look at the dynamics, one of the things I I think is important is in setting up social structures, there has to be a, a, uh, a set of choices among five paradoxical values. And those five paradoxical values are collective intelligence versus elite intelligence. In designing organizations, okay, uh, those who design them need to make a series of choices among five sets of paradoxical values. These are One, collective intelligence versus elite intelligence. Two, iterative discovery versus central planning. Three, collaborative power versus coercive power. Four, diversity of opinion versus ideological conformity. And five, agreement versus compliance. Now, for most of the history of civilization in most social structures, Most organizations have chosen the second set of the paradoxical values. In other words, they have decided to leverage the intelligence of the elite few. Thus, they give them the ability to make central plans. They also ascribe to them coercive power to enable them to uh, enforce both ideological conformity and compliance. And hence, we call that management model command and control. And most social structures are command and control structures. Even in modern day democracies, from a practical standpoint, the day-to-day experience of of dealing with the government in democracies is dealing with administrative states. And administrative states operate as central top-down hierarchies. So for most of us, we couldn't conceive of how anything would be done if nobody was in charge. 
if people didn't have coercive power. We may not like it, but we think it's a necessity. I think as we go forward, we are developing new technologies, specifically the Internet of Things and artificial intelligence, which are going to allow the practical surveillance of individual citizens on a 24-7 basis, something we've never had before. And so the whole element of privacy could begin to disappear. And I think it's these new technologies develop. And I, I think that the response of governments to COVID-19 has shown us that they clearly have a preference for highly centralized uh, top-down hierarchical uh, approaches, and they have amassed more coercive power and have used COVID as a platform to do that. And I point that out because I think the same thing could happen as we develop these new digital technologies, especially AI and especially the Internet of Things. Now, we have a choice. This form of social organization isn't necessarily required. And the choice is to build organizations around the other set of values, which means we're going to leverage collective intelligence, which is the idea behind democracies. But again, most of the democracies on the planet, they practice democracy at what I would call the macro level. Uh, and so we do get to vote uh, our representatives on a periodic basis. But again, in terms of the practical relationship with government, it's oftentimes more with the administrative state. But anyway, peer-to-peer uh, -peer networks leverage the collective intelligence to, they, they come up with strategy, if you will, through a process of iterative discovery as opposed to central planning. And so these organizations are poised to continually learn. Accordingly, their leaders are not given coercive power. They don't have the ability to command and control anyone. Their job is to facilitate collaborative power, which is to, which is to practice power with rather than power over which is a completely different dimension of power, which most people don't have an experience of. And I would argue is a higher form of organizational power. That being said, when you practice collaborative power, you welcome diversity of opinion because it's the only way that you can build collaborative power. In networks, all voices matter. There's no such thing as insubordination. There is no censorship. There is no retaliation of anybody for whatever their thinking may be, because the idea is we're going to pull the strengths out of the various perspectives to come up with what is the best course of action to take. That's why rather than central planning in networks, you do iterative discovery. And ultimately, networks are designed for we need to come to agreement as opposed to compliance. And all of us understand we all have a fundamental human need, which is autonomy. And one of the problems with hierarchies is it kills autonomy and in the process kills innovation, which is important for dealing with a rapidly changing world. Networks, on the other hand, by encouraging diversity of opinion, they encourage agreement. And agreement means that 
everybody or most people are getting on board. And even if it isn't your preference, you understand how it was created and you at least have the experience that my voice was taken into consideration when the group came up with its decision. And, and so that's, this isn't, that's usually what we're promoting uh, in Manage Self Lead Others, that whole concept of psychological safety, people being able to express their opinion without fear yes. of reprimand or punishment or, or backlash. Um, and so, yes, so we're facing this digital fork of the road where that psychological safety may disappear. Yes. Now, now the digital fork on the road, let me just highlight uh, one last thing about these two models of social organization. The organizing principle of centralized top-down hierarchies is trust authority. That's why we give so much power to the, uh, to the intelligent few. But the problem is when you do that and when you don't welcome diversity of opinion and you encourage ideological conformity, you bake in the unconscious biases of the experts. And so there's a tremendous amount of bias that is built into hierarchical structures in which the interest of those at the top take precedence over the interest of those across the organization, even though those at the top will rhetorically say they are they are acting and promoting the common good. Their behavior says otherwise. They're putting their own interests first. This is in contrast with networks. When networks welcome the intelligence of everyone, their operating principle is nobody is smarter than everybody. When you are encouraging everybody's voices and looking for and looking to discover common ground rather than mandating common ground, then you are more likely to come to real common ground. But also collective intelligence is the most effective way in which we can eliminate human bias. And that's because all of us are biased. We can't help but it. You, you, you cannot not be biased. If, you, if you're familiar with the work of Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, system one thinking, which we use most of the time, that's our thinking process, is inherently biased. And so that's just a human floor in individuals. And so when you leverage individual intelligence, that's, that's a problem. You build that floor into the structure. When you leverage collective intelligence by combining the strengths of different people's thinking, you move past the biases to come to higher level solutions than any individual could ever come up with. And Buckminster Fuller said that too, because he coined the phrase synergy. And, and, exactly. And, and and in simple terms, one plus one equals three. In other words, when you have a group of people working together, you have a better result than lone individuals. Exactly. And that and Max Weber, the sociologist, had the famous saying that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Yes. That is more likely to be the reality that's operating in networks. In hierarchies, not so. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. 
Um, the whole is really is really limited by the intelligence and the biases of the elite few. And so if we want to build more intelligent and more powerful organizations, we need to trust that nobody's smarter than everybody, leverage collective intelligence, and invest in power with collaborative power rather than coercive power. I believe that the most significant existential crisis, the biggest geopolitical issues that we will be facing over the next two decades is around the question of what kind of a world do we want to live in? And two models are emerging. The first model is, is the, uh, uh, the amplification of the centralized top-down hierarchy, and it is the Chinese Communist Party model. They are currently building a society in which they are using the Internet of Things and, and the artificial intelligence to surveil their entire population. They want to be able to observe their citizens' behavior to the extent that they can, 24-7, 355. And in observing their behavior, they've come up with this concept of social credit score. And what they want to do with the social credit score is that will determine the amount of freedom that you will have to operate in their society. The more you are aligned with ideological conformity, the more you are aligned with their conception of compliance, then the more privileges that you will have, the more that you dissent or differ from the point of view of the Communist Chinese Party, then the more likely you are to lose your privileges as a citizen. The whole concept of privacy will disappear. This is really George Orwell's 1984. Yeah, now, there is an alternative, and this is why I think we may have to depart from our preferences of the past 10,000 years, and that is to build the Internet of Things and the artificial intelligence applications on blockchain platforms. Now, administrative states will not like this, because if we build our uh, these these new technologies in the context of blockchain, what distinguishes blockchain is that no single entity can affect an action. And so if I could give an analogy for our audience, because a lot of people have heard of blockchain and are not quite sure how it works. The analogy I like to use when I speak upon it is let's all imagine that we're all at the auction of a of a of an estate. And we've come with the idea of buying a specific painting from that estate, and it's worth, and we have $2,000 to spend. As the auction proceeds, finally our painting comes up, we start the bidding, and, and it winds up just, just you and another person are in the bidding process. You finally bid it up to $2,000, and the other person bids it up to $2,500, and they win. Now, in the traditional hierarchical structure, we would record that transaction as follows. Somebody would have a ledger in the room and they would record that the other person won that painting at the price of, of $2,500. In blockchain, it would be done very different. And so let's also assume that as we're sitting in this room, that we're a blockchain community. In order to record this transaction, more than 51% of us in the room have to agree that this person won the bid for $2,500 and has the money to pay for it. And once everybody agrees, it doesn't get recorded in a single ledger. 
It gets recorded in the ledger that each and every one of us has. Oh, and by the way, when you showed up for this, uh, for this auction, you wore a mask and you were an avatar. So you have no idea who the personalities are of the other people in the room. You just see, if you will, avatars. Now let's assume at the end of the day, the person who won the bid is actually the brother-in-law of the, of the auctioneer. And he comes up to him and says, you know, your sister wanted this painting real bad and it's not worth $2,500. I don't even think it's worth $25. So you sold lots of items today. Why don't you just go into that ledger, erase the $2,500, change it to $25. Nobody will know the difference. I'll be happy. Your sister will be happy. And in the old world, you could do that because it is possible to commit. It's easy to commit corruption mm -hmm. if you've got control over the particular governing documents. However, this auction happened in a blockchain community. So the auctioneer throws up his hands and says, there's nothing I can do. The transaction earlier is immutable. The only way we could change it is we have to go back to the blockchain community. 51% of the people have to agree to change it to $25. And it must be changed not in one ledger, but in every single ledger. And that is not going to happen. And so this is an example for people to understand that what characterizes blockchain is no single entity can affect an action. You actually require collective intelligence or collective agency in order to do an action. What allows corruption to occur is individual agency combined with power over a structure. What makes networks so powerful is that individual agency through collective intelligence that winds up making up collective agency, that is the basis for collaborative power in the network. Now, if we build our systems on blockchain platforms, then privacy is assured because there'll be, well, our identity can be kept outside the system, and yet all the transactions can become transparent, and no single entity will be able to corrupt those transactions. If we do this, then the state will have the information it needs about society through the ability to see transparent transactions. But at the same time, we can preserve our privacy from the state because they should still only be able to cross that line, if you will, if they get uh, you know, a judicial warrant. But the idea that the administrative state can surveil individuals is something that we need to guard against. And that's why I call this the digital fork in the road. With these new digital technologies, it will not be possible to build top-down hierarchies in which we can maintain our privacy. And also the, uh, the totalitarian leaders of these types of structures will have almost perfect tools in which they can do surveillance if they build them as hierarchical structures. Well, well, we're, we're just, you know, this audience is mostly managers in corporations. What can we do about this? Well, I think that corporations can begin to, to uh, take on this model. And so, for example, if they leverage the collective intelligence of everyone and find ways and means by which they can do that, and, and I write about some of the tools and practices in my book, Wiki Management, for wow. those who might be interested, uh, you are doing two things. One, you are setting up your organization to be competent in innovation. 
because networks leveraging collective intelligence are naturally employees for innovation. When you invite differing opinions and you come up with processes in which you can integrate different thinking, you, you're going to accelerate serendipity and serendipity is the soil in which innovation happens. And serendipity is combining unusual things. When you operate in hierarchical structures that are focused on ideological conformity, you are over-invested in the status quo. And if anybody comes up with a new idea, which on first blush will probably seem like a wacky idea, because all innovative ideas begin as wacky ideas, then you're gonna kill those ideas. And so innovation doesn't happen. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I think in this digital fork in the road, if we are able to, to build blockchain models, they will have a distinct and large advantage over the Chinese Communist Party's centralized models. So should a manager be using the language of, uh, of block, you know, referring to blockchain and peer-to-peer -peer, uh, networks, peer-to-peer -peer support? And even what's coming up in in when when I'm working with teams is and and listening to uh, Patrick Lencioni who wrote the five dysfunctions of a team he's talking about peer to peer accountability as well yes and that yes. that really just touches on the higher reaches of human nature because mm -hmm. it takes a very wise human to be able to give feedback to a colleague who is their equal in a way that they'll accept it and not take umbrage so. <laughs> So let's go back to our example of the estate when, yeah. you know, in, in order to record anything, it takes peer-to-peer -peer accountability. Yeah. It's because more than 51% have to agree. So you, what you've got is you've got the involvement of all and you have practical structures in which you can do decision making. I also think uh, another thought for managers listening to this, a lot of companies are embracing blockchain. But what they're doing is they're creating what they call proprietary blockchains. Yeah. Proprietary blockchains are nothing more than hierarchical structures. <laughs> because what proprietary blockchain means, a blockchain I build in which I maintain control. All right. Have the courage. Is that an oxymoron, is it? <laughs> it it's, well, have the courage to build blockchain structures in which you don't have to have absolute control because it is control that also gets in the way of innovation. It also gets in the way of growth. The, the lifeblood of network systems, okay, is collaboration, not control. And the more that you allow collaboration to happen on the platforms you build, then the more wealth you will create. Another thought that I'd like to leave with managers is in this digital age, we are now creating entirely new stocks of economic wealth for which we have neither the economics nor the accounting to measure or distribute. And, and because of that, our tech companies are feudal companies because in tech companies, all of the wealth goes to the founders, to shareholders. None of the wealth goes to the people who create the value, which is us, the users. Right. If all of us stopped using Google, it would be worthless. We create the value. We don't get compensated. Now, I'm not saying that to criticize the people at Google or, or other social companies. Uh, we simply don't have the, the new mechanisms we need. We need to grow those. Blockchain could help to do that. So let me give an example. This is how I think Google ends. If some company out there embraces blockchain 
gives up control, builds systems based on collective intelligence and, and true blockchain systems, and develops artificial intelligence programs that begins to calculate the value that the people using their platforms bring to the platform and then reimburses them in cryptocurrency that it creates. Those people are now being paid economically for the value they bring. So if you were to build a search engine that had the same quality as Google and your participation on it is gonna pay you in cryptocurrency, which one are you going to use in the future? Are you going to use Google that doesn't pay you? Or are you going to use the new search engine that you as a company could build, which is going to pay people in cryptocurrency? From a cost standpoint, that cryptocurrency isn't going to cost you anything. What you're coming up with is a new mechanism to measure the value that you are creating in a way that you can share with the true producers of that value, which are oftentimes your customers. If you begin to build those types of business models, you are, create, you are creating yourself uh, or encouraging your own uh, being a, a fully sustainable company. Sustainable competitive advantage is not going to begin to those who hoard value. It's going to begin to those who create value. So there, there are structures now. Uh, in Australia, we might call it a, a cooperative. I mean, I, there was a health fund 20-something years ago I was in where at the end of the year you got a check back, uh, you know, cash a cash reward based on their profit and the, the percentage of profit went back to the people in the fund. I mean, that's what we call a cooperative. I don't know what structures you have like that in the United States. And of course, this this work, this uh, podcast is global. So, so what's happening there is you're distributing, uh, you're distributing essentially the profits. Okay. Yeah. What we're talking about here is actually rewarding people for the value creation that they are producing by participating on your platform or in your network. This is, this is what we have to begin to capture. And I think blockchain is the accounting paradigm in which that can be calculated and distributed. And so that, that's, and I'm, I'm, it's kind of curious, blockchain refers to itself as a ledger. And I, 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 I like that's that. That's an old-fashioned old well, bookkeeping term, pen and paper. <laughs> yeah, and what it represents, and, and I think it, it, it somehow insinuates this is the new accounting system going forward. And so if companies will experiment with collective intelligence processes, are willing to do iterative discovery, welcome diverse opinions and build their platforms as such, look for ways to, to uh, calculate or measure value that people create on their platforms and then pay them in cryptocurrency. It doesn't cost them anything. They are, uh, they are essentially monetizing the value, the new value stocks being created, and they are sharing them with the very people who produce the value, as well as, as gaining some of that for themselves. Well, I'm sure that that I, I considered that 20 years ago. It's a thing called employee options, where mm -hmm. uh, and also in indie films, when when filmmakers can't afford to pay an actor and 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 the 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 crew a wage, they give them a percentage of the potential profits, which may or may not pan out. So are you looking at um, employees? having share options. I mean, I know Microsoft uh, early employees had 
were given shares and, and some people got very rich because of that. Uh, well, the employees currently in the current paradigm are being paid very well in the tech companies. This yeah. isn't about paying employees. This is about paying the customers. The customer. this, is about, <laughs> this is about paying the users of your services. In, in the digital world, they're your value creators. Your customers don't just purchase things from you. They oftentimes create the value and you're not compensating them for that. Not because you're evil. It's because we don't have the mechanisms to do it. And so in this digital fork in the road, if we build networks based on blockchain, blockchain is a structure in which we can, we can calculate cryptocurrency, use artificial intelligence to measure and understand the value of the different people in the community and pay them in a cryptocurrency that you can create. Look at the win-win. It's not going to cost the company any dollars to pay the customers. They're going to pay them in the cryptocurrency. And, and if people have a hard time saying, well, well, how could we do that? Again, when I speak upon this, I say we're all familiar with cryptocurrency because how many people in the room don't have frequent flyer points? And no hand ever goes up. I said frequent flyer points are nothing more than a primitive form of cryptocurrency. It's a way that companies pay their customers for the value that they help bring to the to the uh, uh, to the business. If I go to a coffee shop and I get a stamp and I get a free coffee after every ten, mm -hmm. I'm getting yes. a return. <laughs> These are primitive forms of cryptocurrency. They have you know and frequent. Fire points in particular, you can buy almost anything with them today. They are a broad currency. And so companies are familiar with this. Cryptocurrency, uh, digital currency is just a more sophisticated form of what some companies have been doing for quite some time. So if you've got some examples of companies that can give value back to their customers, maybe not naming names, but giving the uh, the product and the and the return. We're in pathfinding territory. The only one who's done it at this point is Bitcoin. Okay. Bitcoin. Yes, you Bitcoin. mine it and you get you get the currency. That's right. Because the miners are the ones who do the production. Okay. And they have the opportunity to get paid. And so Satoshi Nakamoto really is a genius and came up with an incredibly innovative paradigm, game-changing model. Uh, and so the users of Bitcoin, that's they get paid for the value they create. Although I'll, I understand that the, the, the cost, the, just the cost of electricity almost outweighs the, the Bitcoin that you can earn these days. So not a lot of people are doing it anymore. Yes. And, 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 and that's there's true. There's only and, so many Bitcoins and now we're down to the very last. It's like, like right. mining for gold and the, and the gold is very deep now. <laughs> And so the and the analogy I would use here is Bitcoin and blockchain as it exists in that today is in its primitive form and is equivalent to 1903 when wow. the Wright brothers flew the Wright flyer in Kitty Hawk. It, it flew 100 feet off the ground. OK, and if you stood there and said, well, what practical use does this have? All right. <laughs> but the point was, we finally had controlled flight. And that was the game changer. What would happen over the next three decades was we would take that simple, simple experiment and turn it into the most incredible, some of the most incredible machines ever invented and a huge industry with tremendous value. And it's enabled that us to go to other planets. 
Yeah, and and so this is this is the digital fork in the road. Is will we take this new game changing structure, this new game changing form of social organization, and use it as the foundation for which we will build organizations and societies going forward? If we do that, I believe we will create highly evolved human organizations and highly evolved human societies that are beyond our understanding because we will be leveraging everybody's brain and won't be let won't be limited to the single individual brains or if we don't make the change if the chinese communist party model wins out we will be living in the most draconian totalitarian societies the world has ever known that is why i think this is an existential choice that is our digital fork in the road ah oh. You've you've blown me away, Rod. I have to take a breath after this. Um, where will people be able to read this information? Because you're a futurist and you're really sort of uh, pointing the way ahead. Where can they read about it? I would refer people to my website, which is simply rodcollins.net. Yeah. Again, that's rodcollins.net. And that website will link you to all my content. I have a podcast on C-Suite Radio Network. I'm putting together season three now. Uh, um, and it'll, uh, it'll, uh, there's also a link to my Substack blogs as well as, as my books. Well, I think we need to uh, fill our brains with the meta cognition, the meta ideas that you're presenting, Rod, because uh, seems like we are facing a choice and individual managers can can have their own microcosm of their teams and their teams within teams. In fact, one of the things that came up earlier was this whole idea of collaboration because I'm really looking forward in a, in a future episode talking about the silo effect because mm-hmm. sometimes when I talk to teams, people have never heard of it. I go, well, that's n- naming this lack of collaboration where the people are just in their own little microcosms. So we need to collaborate, share ideas, and bring the customer in into uh, a sense of uh, return on their investment of their time and, uh, and and just being loyal to us. So this, it's just a, a most amazing world, a world that you're painting a picture of. Rod, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be with you once again, Nina. Just wonderful. Thanks, Rod. This episode, we've been speaking with Rod Collins on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday, and thank you for listening. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.